You're listening to a podcast from the University of Warwick. This series was produced as part of the conference All Together Now, British Theatre After Multiculturalism. The conference was organised in collaboration with the British Theatre Consortium. In this episode, we hear from Barbara Matthews, Arts Council of England, speaking as part of the panel discussion, Access Schmaxess. I'm not a historian or an academic or a politician, and I celebrate all of those things. So I approach this from a, from a different point of view. I approach it from a position of, of values, really. Both the value that we find in art, and as, as Dan suggested, we were, we were encouraged to look at the instrumental versus intrinsic argument when we were preparing what we were going to say to you today, but also other values which I'll come to later on. Um, because I think that this uh, argument we've been asked to look at is a, a false dichotomy completely. It's interesting to debate, to debate on occasions like this. Of course it is, but it's an argument I don't think there's any need to have. And indeed, I think those who insist on having it and, and for seeing the world from one end of the argument to the other patronise either audiences or artists in the process. It assumes that only an elite few can enjoy the, the greatest, the best art, and that artists cannot or indeed will not uh, or are not interested in making art that is relevant and popular. I think that's nonsense. Um, it was John Tusser said um, that in that report that got shelved for the Tory party that he believed in art for art's sake or better still art for heaven's sake and then went on to say uh, the arts are probably instruments for social improvement, agents for social change, for social equality or for community harmony. Yet each of these demands, singly and all of them collectively, set a list of challenges which are not intrinsic to the arts, are distant from their true nature, and all of which could be antithetical to their basic functions and purposes. Well, was he right? I don't think he needs to be, is, is my, my point, really. Because it suggests that we have to sacrifice the quality of art to reap its instrumental benefits or that in reaping those instrumental benefits, we inevitably reduce the quality of it. A kind of artistic version of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, if you, if you will, the, the more precisely the intrinsic value is apparent, then the less precisely the instrumental value. Again, I don't think that needs to be true. I recognise that there are many different ways of valuing the arts, and, and Michael this morning told us that values change, they certainly do. And no doubt there will be new fashions and theories in, in the future that we haven't even thought of. But I, of, I don't think they need to be the ones we have in front of us at the moment. They need to be mutually exclusive. Uh, in my mind, there are indisputably in, in, instrumental benefits from engaging with the arts. We all, well, I say we all know that. I thought we all knew that. Maybe we didn't. Um, and, and, and most of us have probably felt them for ourselves. And, and I don't see why we should deny that, quite honestly. And if I have to discuss the arts in those terms to get them onto someone else's agenda, then I will. But what I do think is that in becoming adept at presenting the arts uh, as the panacea to illiteracy or social dysfunction or even moral turpitude, um, we lost confidence um, during the period when that was how the arts were being politically measured in making the case for celebrating the arts and for their intrinsic value. And I'm very glad that we're beginning to redress the balance so you can see what I'm kind of saying is, yes, there's been a swing of a pendulum, but maybe, maybe there's a middle ground here and we don't have to go to our extremes. Um, oh, this is where my rewrite gets completely chaotic. Yes. <laughs> um, oh yes, I want you to indulge me for a minute and let me, let me offer you up a metaphor. And no, no doubt, like Dan, I'll get tied up in knots of my metaphors, but let me try this. Take an avocado pear, if you will. 
Now, you might choose to eat it because it has the most divine flavour. You might choose to eat it because it's full of potassium and vitamin B and E and K, so my research tells me. Um, just because it has, uh, just because you choose to eat it because it is of a divine flavour, and you may have put it into any sort of dishes if you, uh, um, culinary wonderfulness is according to your taste or the taste of the people you're entertaining. It doesn't stop it containing potassium and vitamin K and vitamin E and vitamin B. And someone else might put it um, on, on their face as a face pack to enhance their beauty. It still contains those nutrients. Uh, you might choose to mash it up to feed it to your baby. It doesn't mean that it was any less a good pear before you mashed it up, while you've mashed it up, nor that the next pear that comes off the tree is going to be any different from the one that you just harvested to give to the baby. You see, you see what I mean? It all <laughs> depends on what you're trying to do with it and where you stand. Um, and it, and it doesn't need to, you don't need to use poor pears to do any of those things, and it doesn't change its nature. Changing fashions, different priorities, different ambitions, I think is what I'm trying to say. Depends on where you stand. Uh, Lee Hall said it much better than I can in Pitman Painters, which I'm sure some of you saw. And amongst the, these wonderful arguments about art and its purpose and its value, there's a moment which for me was most telling. Uh, Robert Lyon, the upper-class ac academic, um, is introducing an exhibition of pictures by the miners, the miners he'd encouraged to discover art by painting themselves rather than um, looking at the history of our art appreciation classes. And he, in telling the audience about this exhibition, focuses on how extraordinary it is that such ill-educated men with no previous contact with art should be able to, and indeed choose, to engage with art. Oliver Kilbourne, one of the miners, takes great exception to this, and he insists that they deserve attention not because they're painting miners, but because they're good painters. And I, I found that a very moving part of the play. Uh, and Lee was quoted uh, in an interview he gave in the Daily Telegraph. He said... We've got this divide. It existed for the Ashington miners and it's still there today, between what one lot of people seem entitled to in terms of culture and another lot aren't. There's this terrible lie perpetrated by those who sell us this rubbish that only certain people can have access to great culture and the rest don't need to know about it and wouldn't like it if they did. Uh, the Arts Council's arts debate, uh, which was a major inquiry in 2006 into how people not funders, but or politicians, but people valued the arts, kind of bears all of this out um, because the over 1,200 people responded to that um, inquiry. And between them, they came up... I won't give you all the different reasons they valued arts because we'd be here forever, but um, they talked about it being a key part of being human. They talked about it helping to infuse a sense of pride and individuality into communities, about the challenging nature of the arts, the oppositional nature of them, how it could drive society forward, how it can inspire, how it can indeed contribute to a wide variety of society, um, social outcomes and benefits, and how it can strengthen democracy by making sure that everyone has the opportunity to have their voice heard. So again, I go back to the point that all of these things can and should be true at once, not just the intrinsic not just the, the instrumental. I think there's another aspect to this too, which is, and it's quite simply the moral one, which is if we believe in the transformational nature of the arts, if we believe that they can help us to understand ourselves and the world we live in more fully, if we believe that they bring meaning and pleasure to our lives, then what right do we have to keep that to ourselves? What right do we have to use public money, which the government gathers from every one of us, 
for the benefit of just part of the population. Uh, one respondent to the arts debate put it like this. Uh, Mike Moran was his name, and he said, the arts fulfil us beyond the basic need for food, shelter and survival, although anthropologists might tell us that its social, social function aids survival. The arts are a response to a powerful urge to make human existence in some way more meaningful and more valuable. The most important aspect of this is that nobody should feel excluded from this social cultural process and what happens in a community project is as important as what happens in a high profile establishment such as an opera house or a gallery. So uh, and what right do we have to offer anything else but the best possible at all times to those people if we accept that they all have a right to access to it? Um, it seems to me, but you might tell me otherwise, that we accept all of this much more readily in sport than we do in the arts. We accept the continuum between knocking a ball around on a, you know, a backyard uh, right up to the Premier League in, in football. We can see that encouraging people to play football has many, many benefits and offers many pleasures, and therefore providing facilities for them to do so from the public purse makes sense and is a, is a, is a sensible use of funds. Now, we'd never suggest those people playing in the backyard should serve their turn in Man United's first team, um, but we might well expect them to go and watch it, and we wouldn't expect Man United to alter the way they play in order to attract a different crowd. But we might expect attention to be paid to the, the facilities, the customer care, the way information is presented, the food that is there, um, all of those kind of things in the football ground in order to remove barriers who, uh, between people and going to see it. So again, I can't, the, the, we can have elite sport, we can have participative sport, we can have instrumental and intrinsic values all bundled up in once and it seems to be accepted. Why do we find that so hard um, in, the, in the arts? I don't quite know. Um, my last point, I've probably gone way over time, have I? No, you'll tell okay. me if I am. Um, is to unpack this accessibility thing. Because I think there are three separate arguments going on at once here, and I've alluded to some of them. One is the removal of barriers, whether they be real physical barriers, attitudinal, cultural, language barriers, whatever they are. Um, and, and I think I've made the moral argument that we should do that. Secondly is the opportunity to participate, not just watch. Um, the, um, the point that David really brought up and, and my football story, I hope, explains what I feel about that. And the last one is relevance. And, and yes, McMaster brought the pendulum back to the intrinsic value of the arts. And yes, maybe his sections on diversity and audience are the weakest in his report. I accept that. But I don't think he intends to uh, ignore the audience at all. He talks very much about excellence in terms of relevance. <coughs> He says, culture can only be excellent when it's relevant, and thus nothing can be excellent without reflecting the society which produces and experiences it. Now, I think that's certainly true for each of us. Um, and, and within a diverse society, there are lots of different relevance. We all have our own relevance, if you like. Barry talked about collecting and embracing audiences. Well, each of those audiences has a different relevant. Um, and, and Howard, this morning, talked about not letting freedom go. Well, what if you've not yet achieved that freedom? Then, then where do you stand? So, um, in concluding, because I feel I must, um, it, I want to quote Maynard Keynes, I'm afraid, who set up the Arts Council to give courage, confidence, and opportunity to audiences and the artists and their audiences. In other words, the artist and the audience have always been considered to be essential components of what we stand for. 
right from the start. This conference was supported by the School of Theatre Performance and Cultural Policy Studies at the University of Warwick, Warwick Arts Centre, the Humanities Research Centre at the University of Warwick, and the Department of Drama and Theatre at Royal Holloway.